according to your faith, it will be done unto you. He might as well have said, if you've got a cup, I'll fill you with a cup level of blessing. If you've got a bucket, I'll fill you with a bucket level of blessing. But he's saying, if you've got a barn, in other words, if you'll take the limits off of God, if you'll believe for supernatural opportunities, if you'll go out each day expecting far and beyond favor, you won't be disappointed. Psalm 37, 19 says, Even in famine, the righteous will have more than enough. When you've got your mouth open wide, you're not complaining about the economy. You're expecting to have a supernatural year. You're expecting increase even in the middle of a recession. Your child may be off course, but you're not praying, Oh God, just keep him from driving me crazy. No, you're saying, God, you said, My children will be mighty in the land. So I want to thank you. You're not only going to turn him around, but you're going to use him to do something great for you. When you have your mouth open wide, you're not just hoping to make your monthly mortgage payments. You're believing to totally pay your house off, to live totally debt-free. That's barn-level living. Let me ask you, do you go out each day knowing that favor is already in your future? Or have you gotten stuck in a rut? This is what happened to the people of Israel. They were headed toward the promised land. They had big goals, big dreams, but along the way, they hit some setbacks, had some disappointments. They got so discouraged, they gave up on their dreams and just settled where they were. One day, God said to them, you have dwelt long enough on this mountain. I believe God is saying that to each one of us. You've been where you are long enough. Some of you have held that cup year after year. It's how you were raised. It's all you've ever known. Some of you, at one time, you had your sights set on the barn, but you had some setbacks, and now you've just settled for that bucket. God is saying, this is a new day. Get your fire back. Where you are is not where you're supposed to stay. And I'm asking you to increase your capacity to receive. That means you're going to stretch your faith. You're going to start thinking bigger believing bigger. You're going to go beyond barriers that have held you back. And you're going to make room for God to do something new. I've learned you've got to give God permission to increase you. You've got to give God permission to prosper you. God has brought opportunities across my path in years past that I turned down. I thought they were too big. I didn't think I was qualified. It was so far beyond what I thought I could handle. I didn't even get in agreement with God and at least release my faith for it. Now I realize I wasn't giving God permission to prosper me. I missed those opportunities to go further. Jesus put it like this. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. He was saying you can't go to a new level with an old way of thinking. Many of you are ready for God to do something new. When you hear this truth, that it's going to be a great year, that God has more in store. Something resonates on the inside. That's your spirit person coming into agreement with God. But very often, our natural mind will try to talk us out of it. Your mind will tell you, it's not going to happen for you. You're not going to have a great year. You know what the economy's like. Or you're never going to get well. You saw what the medical report says. You're never going to get married. You've been single so long. Just accept it. No, get rid of that old wineskin. Trade in that small container for something larger. This is a new season. 
what's happened in the past is over and done. You may have been through some disappointments, tried, failed, it didn't work out. That's okay. God is still in control. Get a new vision for your life. Have the attitude, this is my year to go to a new level. This is my year to be totally healthy. This is my year to meet the person of my dreams. If you open your mouth wide, God said he will fill it. But it starts right here with us, with our capacity to receive. We cannot go around thinking thoughts of mediocrity and expect to excel. We can't think thoughts of defeat and barely get by, help me to survive, and at the same time expect God to fill us with abundance. The two don't go together. Get rid of that cup. Trade in that bucket, throw away that barrel, and come over to the barn level. God is a God of abundance. And it says in Psalm 115, The Lord your God will increase you and your family more and more. Increase has always been on God's mind. His dream is that we'd never get stuck at one level. In fact, Jesus said, He came that we might have life to the full, in abundance, till it overflows. You need to get that on the inside. Here's why I'm headed. Three places. To a full life, an abundant life, an overflowing life. And if you'll stay in faith, no matter what container you put out there, God will cause it to overflow. I remember when I wrote my first book, Your Best Life Now, before it came out, I would pray, God, if you'll just let this sell 50,000 copies. That was so big in my mind. I was stretching my faith. And at that time, we had about... 20,000 people coming each weekend. And I thought if each one of you would buy one copy, that would be about half of the 50. Then I'll get my family and friends and neighbors. But God likes to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond. He is a God of overflow. That book went on to sell more than 100 times that 50,000. I've learned now if you'll start higher, God will still cause it to overflow. It's great to overflow with a cup. It's exciting to overflow with a bucket or a barrel. But when you put that barn-level faith out there, that's when you'll see God do more than you can ask or think. That's when you'll see God open up doors that you thought were impossible. What happened? You stretched your faith, and that allowed God to pour out His far and beyond favor. Lights are going to be kicking back up here in a second, but while they do, what I'd like to do today is talk a little about the ideas that underpin what we've just watched and listened to. And, uh, and I need to preface going into today. I, I normally don't like doing this. And what I mean by this is taking another Christian minister putting him up as a spectacle, and then using him as a foil for a counterpoint. Um, within that context, I'm going to say a few things. Um, I believe Joel Osteen is a Christian. I believe I'm going to see him at the resurrection. I believe he's actually sincere in what he teaches and believes. I don't think he's a con man. I don't think he's trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. And quite honestly, I think he probably has a deeper and greater faith than I do. And I will be lucky if I can untie his shoes in the kingdom. But with that being said, I think there are elements tucked into the teaching that we've just heard and the teaching that, that pervades much of his, his, his ministry and his thought that, that are not just local to Lakewood and not just local to the people who buy his 
his book, but have found themselves throughout Christian history, throughout this church, throughout uh, believers throughout the spans of centuries that is in a fundamental way broken if it becomes the basis for our faith. And what I'm meaning by this specifically is, is this simple idea. How do you know if you stand in God's favor? Look around and see if you're being blessed. To judge our standing in God's eyes by the blessings that we have or the blessings that we receive is a more common idea out there, maybe one that many of you hold on to as well, but fundamentally has something deeply broken within it. Likewise, it's inverse, that if you're not being blessed, if life is not working out, if you are struggling, if you are suffering, if you are seeing blessing taken away or lost, that somehow you are not in the fullness of God's favor. Somehow you are not in the fullness of faith. Somehow you are doing something spiritually wrong that is resulting in that lack of blessing that you're receiving. But you listen and it sounds very seductive. It, it, it is very seductive. It sounds very true, doesn't it? I mean, isn't it Jesus who says things like, I tell you, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, throw yourself into the heart of the sea and it will be done for you. And isn't it Jesus who says things like, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you which by extension seems to indicate that if we're not receiving, if we're not finding, and if the doors are not being open, we must not be asking or knocking correctly. I'd really like to dig into this idea with you today that I think permeates so many of our lives. The tendency we have when we're struggling with God and trying to figure out where we stand with him kind of look at the stuff going on around and go, well, is it working out? Uh, did the results kind of prove that the means were effective in using blessing as a litmus test for spirituality? You know, what we've been talking about these past few weeks is that each and every one of us in this room are broken. And in our brokenness, God gives us these incredible, wonderful blessings that, that bring joy and life and spirit and, and, and energy to our lives. But what happens so easily is that in our brokenness, I think we start to turn to our blessings as the solution. Have you had this? You have a hard day, right? And all you think about is getting home to your couch, to your TV, to a meal, to that comfortable spot you like to go to blessings, right? Because those blessings bring you a certain sense of peace or a certain sense of comfort, don't they? Maybe they breathe a certain sense of joy into your life. Or how many of us turn to our blessings to divert? The suffering is there, and we can't get our mind off of it, but if we engage ourselves in this, it helps us pay attention to anything but that. Have you been there? I found that for so many people, uh, blessings, in fact, become the primary source of hope. We look forward to getting this. We look forward to going there. And the hope in going there or in getting this becomes something that drives our lives out of the suffering, out of the struggles, out of the mundanity 
But do you see how insipid it can be that where the blessings start to replace the blesser and the gifts start to replace the giver, and if we're not careful, blessings start becoming an end in themselves or sometimes worse, a litmus test of faith. What I'd like to do is I'd like to dive into this a bit um, and start tearing it apart, looking at it, analyzing it, because at some level, some of it seems very true. Now, last week we began looking at this thing uh, throughout Christian theology called paradox, right? It's the idea that the Bible will often, um, in fact frequently, hold up what appears to be two contradictory truths, two ideas that seem to be self-exclusionary, and yet both are actually true. The storyline continues through Exodus to show that the people, in fact, don't uphold this covenant, and for 40 years they wander the wilderness, not experiencing the blessings of God that they initially intended. Now you come to this book called Deuteronomy, and Deuteronomy means second law. It is the second time that God, or that Moses, is giving the covenant of God. And the entire book of Deuteronomy is Moses with the second generation of Israelites. Mom and dad, they died in the wilderness. These little kids who experienced nothing but wilderness life underneath their failure are now at a place where the 40 years are over and they stand on the brink of what God has called a promised land. A land flowing with milk and with honey, a land rich and fertile, a land that is wealthy, it is prosperous, it is abundant. And it is God's promise to them. Throughout Deuteronomy, Moses goes to articulate what that law, what that covenant looks like. And he comes to the end at verse 28, and he sums it all up. And if you're looking in a modern translation, you might see at 28 it says, blessings for obedience. And then like around verse 15, it might say something like, curses for disobedience. Do you see that? Now let me just read through some of the blessings for a moment to frame it. 28. Deuteronomy 28. Here's what it says in 28. Why are you all nodding yeah and saying aha I see it when you're at chapter 8? <laughs> 28. This is what he says. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, then look at what God will do. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now just read some of it on your own and see what some of these blessings are, okay? You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and your livestock and your herds, they'll overflow. The baskets of your kneading will be blessed. Uh, you'll be blessed here. You'll be blessed there. The Lord will grant you victory over your enemies. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns. Your 401ks will overflow. Your IRAs will beat the market. iPods and iPads will flood your home. Uh, you get the idea, right? God is going to pour material blessing after material blessing after tangible blessing after tangible blessing in every single way upon you. Amen. <laughs> Verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, 
and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I give you today, then these curses will come on you and overtake you. And just by a quick glance, is it not just like utterly disheartening that this section is like three times as long as the blessings? Go through and just start reading some of these. It just gets depressing quickly, doesn't it? But keep going, because we're not depressed enough yet today. Any day where you have to get up and lose an hour is depressing. Verse 24, the Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. Verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Verse 27, the Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt and with tumors, with festering stores, and the itch. Too much information here, Moses. Verse 30, you will be pledged to be married to a woman, and, and another will take her and ravage her. You will build a house, and you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not even begin to enjoy its fruit. Verse 33, a people that you do not know will eat what you have produced, and you will have nothing but cruel oppression. Verse 38, you will sow much in the fields, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. Verse 43, the foreigners who reside among you will rise above you higher and higher, and you will sink lower and lower and the stock market will crash and you'll lose your house and your computers will crash and it just, it's just mass hysteria, right? It's just terrible, terrible things. Disobey God and you have the absence of blessing. You can see how this kind of line of thinking actually comes out of the Bible. This idea that somehow we can know that we are obeying God and doing God's wills by looking at the blessings around us. After all, doesn't it say, if you obey God, this will happen. If you disobey God, this will happen. How do I know if I'm obeying or disobeying? Especially in those areas that are difficult to discern, why don't we just look and see what's going on? It's easy to do, isn't it? When we were watching the video, did you, did you notice the size of, of Joel Osteen's church? It is actually the largest church in the United States. Not in the world, but in the United States. Question. Does that mean that God is blessing that church? Does the size indicate blessing of God? Did you notice the amount of book sales he had? All right? 50,000 he was going for, and I believe he said it was 100 times more. I don't know if that was being a little bit of hyperbole or literal, but it is a bestseller. Does the volume and impact of those book sales mean that what is written is something that is obedient to God and His truth? But don't we do this all the time? Don't we look at our own lives all the time and go, well, it's kind of working out in my favor. God must be blessing it. We're growing, I'm growing. There's other areas where you see things like this. Jeremiah, have you ever called this one out? says, God, you are always righteous, and, and, and when I bring a case before you, I know I can trust you, but I need to talk to you about justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do the faithless live at ease? Doesn't that seem to be counter Deuteronomy? And how about this? Where Amos says, Woe to you who are complacent in the church. You lie on beds of ivory 
and lounge on couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. Substitute your feast today. You strum away on your harps and you listen to your music and you play on your electronic devices. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest from bed, bath, and beyond. <laughs> but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Odd, isn't it, that at one point the scripture says... Obey and you'll be blessed. Disobey and you'll be cursed. And then in another place, both Old and New Testament, it seems to completely turn it on its head. How do you wade through that? How do you figure out uh, the method for dealing with that? And, and I'm here to tell you this. I think that Joel Olstein is absolutely correct. I think he's got it right. I think that what he holds out there as the promise of God and the abundance and prosperity that God has in mind is true. The only problem I have with Joel Olstein's teaching is that I think his timing is off. Because when I look at the scriptures, what I see is that God does promise you abundance, and God does promise you prosperity, and God does promise you the most amazing things. But he doesn't necessarily promise you them yet. Let me show you a passage here. It comes from Isaiah. It says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich foods for all people. A banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from the faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from the earth. Do you hear the blessing and, and the metaphor, the tangible blessing that is there? That God has promised you something insanely incredible beyond your imagination. And it is not just ethereal. It is not just spiritual, whatever that means. It is real. It is physical. It is alive. It is tied to creation that God has promised it to you. But he goes on to say, in that day, to which you go, what day? In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And because the metaphor is so great, I had to put the next verse on there. The hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, but Moab, the wicked, will be trampled under him as straws trampled in manure. Um, and, and they'll spread out their hands and, and it, as a swimmer spreads out his hand. That's just like great, isn't it? Uh, you just can't resist that. I remember back when I was living in Elmhurst in, in like uh, 86 and we had the big floods come through and like, like cities were just like wiped away by, by creeks and, and I remember all the neighborhood kids, kids would go and like swim in this one like block that had become a lake and I have vivid memories of the city worker driving by going hey kids kids do you know what you're swimming in you're swimming in no yeah just the, the mem uh, side I'm sorry it <laughs> God has promised you these things but God has not promised you them 
yet. Because here's what's going on in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is setting up an ideal. Deuteronomy is really giving a picture of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. But the kingdom of God was never actually revealed. Did you notice how each blessing and each curse began? If you obey the Lord fully and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, then he'll do this. Have you ever done that? Have any one of us ever done this? So does that mean that any single one of us should expect a single blessing from God? Which speaks something amazing to God's character. Because God still blesses, doesn't he? And it shows something about God. That as much as God upholds justice, God is more fundamentally about mercy. That God will set up a system where he says, do right and I'll bless, do wrong and I'll punish. But given the tragic case of you and of me and every other human being on this planet that are broken, who fall short and only deserve curse, Every single blessing we receive is fundamentally nothing more than the grace of God. A day is going to come when Deuteronomy is going to be realized. It's called the day of the Lord. That day, as the scripture readings will say. A day when Christ returns to set all things right, to restore his creation, to restore me and you. Prosperity is coming, but the problem is prosperity is out there. And to think that prosperity here is a promise of God or worse, a sign of his favor is fundamentally to set your faith on a broken foundation. To some of us, this might like wreck the, the soul out of our chest. But for many others, I'm hoping this breathes incredible good news. Because sometimes God will bless your butt off. And he'll do it because he wants, and sometimes he won't. And what it means to be a believer on this side of eternity is that when he blesses us to proclaim, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And when the blessing isn't there, to proclaim, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord of the Lord. Because sometimes God blesses you and sometimes he doesn't. But regardless, it is not a sign of your standing, your faith, or your obedience to him. If you're looking for something to base your faith on, a sign of how you stand in God's favor, do this. Look, look to this symbol right here. I don't know if you know what I'm pointing at. This right here. Not your blessings. You're wondering how you stand with God? This will show you how you stand with God. Not your blessings. Do you want to see what's right? Look to here. And regardless of how it works out for you, with ease or with struggle, with blessing or with suffering, know that the result is immaterial of God's favor. 
You may be doing something that is wrong and you may be thriving. Does that make it right? You may be doing something that is right and it is going south on you. Does that make it wrong? Follow God's will and leave the blessings to play out as they play. What God invites each and every one of us to do is not to trust his, his blessings. To not look at them as some sign of his blessing or curse. But to look to Christ. To look to his sacrifice. To look to what he said. And make that the basis for life. Not the stuff we get. Or how it works out. Or how hard or easy it is. Found it in that. Found it in that and you've got a stronger foundation than all the blessings in the world. You know, last week in, in, in via email and whatnot, we ramped up today a little bit with, with an idea of what does it mean to turn hearts back to God, to root them in God and his promise as opposed to the tangible blessings that we've come to love. If you've chosen to play that out today, we're going to come up and commune. It's a time that we, we, we just do what Jesus commanded us to do. He says, remember what I've done for you. Remember that I died for you, and that makes you right in my Father's eyes. Remember that I shed my blood for you, and that's what forgives you. Remember what I spoke to you and make that the course of your life. We come to remember that, to embrace that, to live that. As you come up, if you'd like, you can fast of that blessing. You can leave it at the cross. But may God, be it in the time of blessing or curse in your life, assure you that how you stand before God is rooted and what he says, not what you receive. So pray with me, okay? Lord, we, uh, we are so easily distracted, I believe, by the good and wonderful things you give. And God, we're so easily enticed by the good and wonderful things we want. Lord, it is so easy to reduce you to a means to an end. If we love you, if we serve you, if we obey you, we can get the life that we've always wanted. Forgive us for putting ourselves on the throne. God, may the life that we've always wanted be secondary to you and the life you've called us to. Throughout that, God, we pray for your blessing. We want to be blessed, and we look forward to the day when all things are set right. But God, in the meantime, will we not base our lives and our faith in the blessings we may or may not receive? May we base them in you. So speak to us in that, Lord God. Come to us in that. 
may you be enough. May we look to you as more than we ever need. God, we pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, and it's given for you. After supper, he took a cup. He gave thanks. He gave it to them, and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament. It's shed for you, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I want to welcome you to the bread and the wine, to the body and blood, to the table of the Lord. Some people have been asking recently, and it's good to just remind, in the center of each tray are non-alcoholic wine, if that's what you're looking for today. Gluten-free wafers are available if you ask when you come up. May you come and eat, may you come and drink. Welcome.
blessings rightly here it is give me Philippians 2 please Uh, we're going to scroll it says have the same mindset the same attitude as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross it strikes me that for Jesus blessing was not the sign of God's favor 
Jesus took all the blessings of the universe that he had at his disposal and he traded them all and he gave them up. And he adopted servanthood. He lived with little. He embraced suffering. He died. And God's favor was upon him more than any other. Embrace that today. And if you would, read the next, uh, the next part of this passage with me. It says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gave up his blessings in the now. But God vindicated him in the end. You may be blessed, you may not be. Not in the tangible ways you want anyway. Know that in Christ you are blessed beyond imagination. And know that the day is coming when all promises come true. Amen. Guys, can have a seat. You know, we were uh, talking at our, our pre-service huddle today, expecting like 20 of you here at 9 o'clock. And I got to say, it's encouraging to see how many people set their clocks ahead and actually, way to go, guys, 9 a.m., all right. It, <laughs> Of course, notice the half-hearted clapping because half are still asleep, right? Because there's a number of, uh, of, of important things that I need to share with you today before we, uh, we break you loose. And I want to begin by introducing you to some people. Um, I want to begin by introducing you to uh, six men and women who have pledged to give their lives, and I don't mean that insincerely, who have really pledged to give their lives to this church and, and honestly to each of you. I want to introduce them first and explain to you what I mean.